Um, while I was watching TV um, this past week, I saw a, a commercial that was promoting a deodorant product, and um, and I thought about that. It was a little it's a little warm on this side of the room over here, and uh, so uh, just kind of in case you in case you didn't notice, and uh, yeah, well, I just thought I'd let you know. And and uh, and well, one, well, the only reason I bring that up is because the ad line was kind of interesting. It said, um, uh, it, "You've probably seen it." Said the ad line shouts out, "Confidence, confidence!" And then there's something else, and I don't remember what it is. But then it says uh, at the end, "Raise your hands if you're sure." All right. So obviously, you know, and then you got a whole room of people raising their hands, and, and we can observe fine-looking armpits. And uh, and there, you know, and there's something to that. These fine-looking armpits. So, but. Uh, you probably won't be able to do that after after this after this morning, but the reason I bring that up is because we've got numerous books um, that are on the market today that try to help us to understand how we can have confidence, and uh, confidence in anything, whether it's a deodorant product or whatever, uh, can be a real can be a real good thing, and uh, that's why I wear a jacket because I just have to do it. And, uh, and, you know, confidence could be really good. And in this final session, and we're in our last session, believe it or not, we've finally come to the end of our study in 1 John. But 1 John chapter 5 uh, is a section that helps us to understand how we can have confidence in several areas of our life. If you've got your Bibles, you can turn to it. But I want to ask this question as you turn to it. 1 John chapter 5. How many of you have seen the dilemma that many have in the area of confidence? Have you ever noticed that there's a fine line between confidence and arrogance? Have you noticed that? And it seems like the person who has confidence is, that has confidence is confident, and the person who is looking at their confidence interprets it as arrogance. And it's, and it's, a, fascinating, um, it's a fascinating study into what confidence actually is. So I can be confident and give an air of confidence, and somebody else can look at that confidence and say, boy, that guy is arrogant. And uh, I'm not real sure where the line is, but I heard an interesting story that may help you illustrate it. True story, friend of mine who's a very confident individual, people that know him would say he's confident, and uh, he was out with his wife, and they were out on a backpacking trip. And uh, while they were out, he liked to get up early in the morning and take a walk or jog or whatever while she slept. And uh, so he got up one morning, and he did that. And uh, as he was out taking his jog, there was a commotion outside, and they were in a tent, and she looked outside the tent, and she saw, saw this unbelievable scene. She saw her husband, who was out there running around. They had one of those little camper tables that's maybe maybe five feet long, and they had this camper table, and he was running around this camper, ta- camper table for all he was worth. And right behind him was a grizzly bear that was just bearing down on him. And this thing was just about ready to jump up and grab him and rip him apart, and his wife saw it, and at the last minute yelled out. She said, Honey, look out. And in all the confidence in the world, he looked over and said, Don't worry, babe. I'm one lap up on him. <laughs> now, now th- there's a fine line. There's a fine line. I know that. There's a fine line between confidence and arrogance. And somehow or another, maybe that story will help you to determine what it is. 1 John chapter 5. Look at verse 14. We'll go with verse 14 through the end of the chapter, and this will wrap up our study in this book. It says, And this is the confidence which we have before him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we also know that we have the requests which we have asked from him. If anyone sees his brother committing a sin not leading to death, 
He shall ask, and God will, for him, give life to those who commit sin, not leading to death. There is sin leading to death, and I do not say that he should make request for this. All unrighteousness is sin, and there is sin not leading to death. We know that no one who is born of God sins, but he who was born of God keeps him, and the evil one does not touch him. We know that we are of God, and the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. And we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding in order that we may know him who is true, and we are in him who is true, in his Son, Jesus Christ. This is the true God and eternal life. Little children, guard yourselves from idols. As we go through this last section, what John wants to do is he wants to help us to have confidence in four areas of our life. And we'll go through and we'll take a look at that. But the word for confidence is used 51 times in the New Testament. It's an interesting word. John uses it 13 times, and we see it all throughout, his stu- we see it all throughout the study. In 1 John 2.28, we see he says, And now, little children, abide in him, so that when Jesus appears, we may have confidence and not shrink away from him in shame at his coming. He goes on in chapter 3 and verse 21. He says, Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God. So he's saying that if you have confidence in God, when Jesus returns to this earth, which the Bible specifically teaches that he will, he is coming again, and uh, the Bible is telling us that we can have confidence at the thought of and the sight of his appearance. Now, let me ask you a couple questions as we go through this. When you think of confidence, somebody give me something that would, would um, indicate the opposite of confidence. You could be confident or you could be what? Not confident. Very good, very good. That's a high level, very good. Okay, you can be insecure. You could be confident or insecure. You could be confident or fearful. You could be afraid, afraid of whatever. You know, a person could say, well, you know, I have confidence to be able to speak in front of a group. And another person could say, I'm afraid to do that. You know, and, and doubtful, self-doubt, doubtful, confidence, doubt, confidence, afraid, confidence. Notice what he says in uh, chapter 2. I'm sorry, 2.28. What does it say? He says, we may have confidence and what? And not shrink away. And not shrink away. The, the word picture that we can use is one who is not guilty of something can stand before someone, in this case a judge, and Jesus Christ, the Bible tells us, will come again to judge the living and the dead. So Jesus is the judge of all of humanity. Jesus will come again to judge the living and the dead. For those who know him, we can stand before him in confidence, not shrinking. The, the word picture and what I get in my mind is kind of this. You know, if you ever had your, your, your children guilty of something, and you say, did you do that? And they go like this. That means yes. <laughs> right? That's what it means. It means yes. So when, when the Bible tells us we can have confidence before his appearing, literally it's saying that, hey, when Jesus comes back, for those of us who know him, we do not have to shrink away or be ashamed at his coming because, guess what? We're not guilty of anything. 
not in and of ourselves, but we're not guilty because of what Jesus did. That's the thing that John has trying to been emphasize, has been emphasizing all throughout the study. I can stand confidently before God because I have put my faith and trust in what Jesus Christ did on the cross. I am not ashamed of anything. I am not guilty of anything because he has taken care of all that guilt. Romans tells us, therefore, now there is no condemnation. Guess what? There is no guilt for those who are in Christ Jesus. The guilt has been taken away. So all through this series, what John has been trying to do as, as he introduces us to, number one, how to have a right relationship with God, and that's through Jesus Christ. Now that we are born again as spiritual infants, so to speak, we are now entering into a new life. Old things pass away, all things become new. We are children who are now growing in our relationship with God, and he has continually encouraged us that, hey, guess what? You will never have to worry about paying the price for sin. You'll never have to worry about guilt in your life. You'll never have to worry about being judged because Jesus did it all. And he wants to encourage us as we've gone through this that that's the truth. Look at 2 Timothy for a moment, chapter 1. 2 Timothy 1. The word confidence actually is a legal term. And it means that we can speak freely before a judge because we are justified. We are not guilty. And if we're not guilty, we need not be ashamed of anything. Now, I want you to keep that in mind because what Paul lays out here as as he talks to Timothy is that it'll free us up to do a couple things in our life. And that's in 2 Timothy chapter 1. Look at verse 7. As he writes to Timothy, he's saying, listen, and, and here's a young man who is growing in his relationship with God. He is now the pastor of a church and he's saying, listen to me, God has not given us a spirit of timidity or fear but of power and love and discipline. The Apostle Paul also said to the Romans, he said, hey, you know what? I'm not ashamed of the gospel. I'm not going to shrink away in the area of the gospel. I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God for salvation, the Jew first and into the Greek. It is the power of God unto salvation. Do you see what he's saying? I'm not ashamed of the gospel. I am not afraid to share the gospel because the gospel is truth. I'm not worried about me being accused of telling somebody a lie because what I'm about to tell you is not a lie. It is, and you ever notice how people say, this is the gospel truth. Well, what do you think they mean by that? Well, I'll tell you what they mean. Gospel is the truth. And so what he's saying to to Timothy is, hey, don't you ever be ashamed to tell the truth about who Jesus Christ is. So he says, God has not given us that spirit of fear, but of power and of love and discipline. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord or of me, his prisoner, but join with me in suffering for the gospel according to the power of God, who has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was granted us in Christ Jesus from all of eternity. But now has been revealed by the appearing of our Savior, Jesus Christ, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel for which I was appointed a preacher and an apostle and a teacher and for this reason I also suffer these things for I am not ashamed for I know whom I have believed and I am convinced that he is able to guard what I have entrusted him until that day do you follow what he's saying think about this for a moment this is a tremendous statement what I learned from this is I never have to shrink away I never have to be ashamed I never have to worry about being guilty of telling someone else that Jesus Christ is the only way that they'll ever get to heaven. I don't have to worry about someone coming to me later and say, man, you know what? You told me that Jesus was the only way and, and, I, and I found out that you were lying, that there's other ways. 
God is saying this is the eternal truth from the foundation of the world. This is the plan of God. And you and I, in all boldness and confidence, and never have to worry about being guilty of lying to somebody or misleading them, we are telling them the truth. This is the truth from God from all of eternity, that the only way they're going to get to heaven is by a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. That is it. And that's what he's saying there. He they brought Jesus Christ, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. Do you follow that? I mean, that's a powerful thing. And so as we go through this, we need to understand, and I hope that it helps you as you go back to 1 John chapter 5, and that is that we can have confidence in areas of our life. That's why John continually says, hey, you can know this. You can bank on this. This is a fact. And it's not because I'm saying it, but because God has told me this. This is true stuff. And so as we go through it, let me just share a couple of things with you. We can have confidence in several areas of life. Here's the first area that we can have confidence. You and I can have confidence before God in the area of prayer in our life by asking according to the will of God. Do you follow that? That's what he says. This is confidence. You don't have to be ashamed. You don't have to worry about this. You're not going to be guilty of anything. This is the confidence we have in approaching God. That if we ask anything according to his name, I mean according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have what we have asked of him. If anyone sees his brother commit a sin that does not lead to death, he should pray and God will give him life. And I refer to those whose sin does not lead to death. Now, there is a sin that leads to death, and I'm not saying that he should pray about that. All wrongdoing is sin, and there is sin that does not lead to death. This would be a real interesting thing to go through. The first one, and, and, and let's, let's start with the, the very basic premise, and that is that there is a prerequisite in prayer. And do you see what the prerequisite is? What is it? First, we can have confidence, and we know we can have confidence because the Bible tells us that we can boldly appear before the throne of grace in order to get grace and help in the time of need because of what Jesus did. Ephesians 3.12 tells us the same thing. I can have confidence to go before God and boldly petition Him in areas of my life, not because of anything in and of myself, but because I recognize what Jesus Christ did, and now because of Him I have access to God the Father. Do you follow this? Now here's the problem area though. What is the prerequisite for effective prayer? It has to be according to the will of God. Do you follow that? This is the confidence we have in approaching God. That if we ask according to His will. Now, here's where we all get into a lot of trouble. And I want to take some time to go through this. George Mueller, who fed thousands of orphans with food that was provided in response to answer prayer, said this. Prayer is not overcoming God's reluctance. It is laying hold of God's willingness. See, prayer is not uh, our, um, our sales job on God. Oh, God, if you'll do this for me, I'll do this for you. Oh, God, if you just do this for me this time, I promise I'll start doing these things for you. See, we, we barter with God. We negotiate with God. Okay, if you let me have this office with a window, then I'll put in so many hours. You know what I mean? It's like we're, we're, we're so used to bartering and negotiating in life that now we think we're going to somehow or another negotiate with God. But there are some things that are non-negotiable as far as the will of God is concerned. And so what he's saying is that we run into problems when, when we assume that something is his will that is not his will. And in reality, we can't pray confidently if it's not the will of God because that's the prerequisite that's laid out as we look at this. Let me ask you a question. How can you pray confidently before God? Help us through this dilemma a little bit. Let's, let's think together here. 
because the people that are warmer ready to drop. Huh? Okay, yeah, this, is, this sounds simple, but if, if the Bible tells me that I can pray confidently before God, the only way that I'll have confidence and not shrink away or feel ashamed of what my request is, is if I know what the will of God is. Right? Okay, give you an example. If somebody says to me, hey, you know what? Man, I'd really like to go to the Rams game today. And don't, because I don't have any tickets. <laughs> but I say, if somebody says that to me, right? And I do have a ticket, and I say to them, well, here, would you like to go to the Rams game? I can ask that in full confidence because he's already expressed his will. I already know that he wants to go to the Rams game, so I'm not stepping out on the limb and risking in any way by saying, hey, I have an extra ticket, would you like to go? I have never heard anybody yet that hasn't said, oh, thank you, thank you, thank you. Or, you know, depending on how cool they are, they miss me. Oh, that's cool, thanks. But, you know, it just depends on everyone has a different response to things that get them excited. But, um, but you see what I'm saying? Now, if I already know that person's will, there is no risk, and I can confidently go and approach them and say, here. That's a good, that's a good situation. Now, let me ask you this. How can you pray confidently to God? We have to know his will. Now, how do we know his will? By knowing his word. Yeah, now, this, is not, this isn't trick questions here. It's all right. You throw it out there. You know, be confident. Don't be ashamed. Don't be embarrassed. Don't feel guilty. But we have to know his will. And the only way we know God's will is by knowing his word. And see, this is the most frightening thing in the world to me to realize that we have people who are trying to pray to God and their prayers are just stupid prayers because God's already revealed what's true and false. He's already revealed. It'd be, it'd be like me saying, going up to somebody who said, man, I hate the Rams. I'd never go to a Rams game. And I don't care if you give me uh, uh, season tickets and $2 million on top of it. For me to go to that person and say, hey, I got a ticket. Would you like to go? What am I, brain dead or something? I mean, I should have picked up on the fact that guy doesn't want to go. Do you follow this? Now, isn't that that's as, that's as ironic and ridiculous as it is for us to be praying to God for him to somehow or another give us some special dispensation from what he's already revealed in his word? For example, I have got a friend who I'm dealing with who said this, and I can't even, I, I mean, it's, it just amazes me, but, but, but he's different, and he's not like there are any of us in here. <laughs> I prayed about it, and I prayed about leaving my wife to go and live with my girlfriend. Oh, really? Oh, and what does God say to you? <laughs> what? I mean, think about it. I prayed to leave my wife to go live with my girlfriend. And while I'm at it, I'm going to pray that when we have sex, she doesn't get pregnant. And that she hasn't been with anybody else but me because that's what she said. Ha, ha, ha. And I pray that I don't get whatever she got that she might give me. Well, let's just follow this prayer life all the way down the line. Well, it's the same logic that he entered into when he said, I pray to God that I leave my, my, my wife. Well, I might as well pray that she doesn't get pregnant and I don't catch something. What? Now, what's wrong with that? I don't know. I pray stuff like that all the time. <laughs> Hope to find out. <laughs> what's wrong with that? Man, I feel like I'm in a revival in the Southwest. Man, I got, I got, we got bulletins going like this, man. People, ah, ah, ah. I just need a couple people yell, preach it, brother, baby, and I feel like, man, this is great stuff. Oh, hallelujah, I'll preach it. Huh? Oh, yeah, you mind if I just sit here and we'll just talk together? It's not, it's not, okay. It's not consistent with the Word of God. God's already revealed it. 
He's already said, hey, this is the will of God that you flee from fleshly lust, which wage war against your members. This is the will of God that you abstain from, from sexual immorality. This is the will of God. Now, gee, wonder what the will of God is in that area. You picking up on this for a moment? I got people who's like, oh, Lord, if I don't get caught cheating on my taxes, I'll cut you in. <laughs> And you know, God needs some more money, right? He's really tapped out. You know, God is not savings and loan institutions. I'm telling you right now, God is the God of the universe, the resources of the universe that are at his disposal. And oh, baby. And, and I'll tell you what, you know what? You, you just, there's no, <laughs> gee whiz. Man. Anyway, I hope it's just because it was hot in here and had nothing to do with that um, the sexual situation that we were talking about. Man. All right, all right, all right. So what do you do? What do you do? You have to know. You have to know. Oh, raise your hands if you're sure. I'm not sure. You have to know what the will of God is and how stupid it is that we would pray anything that is contrary to the revealed will of God. I can't pray that with confidence. No one can pray that with confidence. We're guilty before God. How can we boldly approach Him and say, Lord, I know what your revealed will is, but in this case, cut me some slack. Hey, I'll give you enough rope to hang yourself. (laughs) Hebrews chapter 12, whom God loves, he disciplines. He is not mocked. Whatever a man sows, that's what he reaps. Who do we think we're kidding? We need to realize as God's people that there's always a price tag to sin. And don't try to drag God in on it because he had nothing to do with it. God is light and in him there is no darkness. God cannot look upon sin. God is perfect and holy and separated from sin. And don't ever try to drag God into your sinful situation. Don't be asking him to cut you a break in an area that you've already known by the revealed will of God that it's not right. The Bible is very specific about the revealed will of God in many, many areas. All we need to do is start to pick it up and read it and we'll know what it has to say and so we look at that and we say hey adultery against the will of god fornication against the will of god we just go down through it lying against the will of god at cheating against the will of god i mean all those things are against the will of god why would i pray that god would somehow let me slide in these areas god's either holy and just or he isn't either he maintains his standard or he doesn't he's not going to cut any of us a break that's any different than what he says he's going to do might as well just get that in our head right now because then we can go confidently to the throne of grace when we know what his will is right I mean, we can pray confidently in certain areas. I'll tell you what, I can pray confidently, and I know people that that if they're God's children that are living in sin, I can go to God confidently and say, Lord, do whatever it takes to bring him back to yourself. Do whatever it takes. I don't hesitate to pray that. Not at all. In fact, the guy that I'm talking about, we had guys go to him and say, we're praying that God will break your legs. Because he makes his living by standing on them and playing on them and running on them and everything else. And man, he got ticked off. Well, I can't understand why. And then, you know, amazing thing is, two weeks later, he blew his medial collateral and uh, blew his knee out. Now, I'm not saying God did that, but I'm not saying he didn't do it either. I mean, I want him to believe God did it. Hey, if he's one of God's kids, then he loves him and he's going to do whatever it takes to bring him back to himself because there's nothing good happening in that man's life right now. He may think he's having fun, but he doesn't know what fun is because it ain't going to last. The temporary pleasures of sin are but for a moment. Solomon said they're all vanity. They're like chasing soap bubbles, and as soon as you grab one, they pop right in your face. 
So we can ask according to the will of God and with all confidence because we know what God's will is. Now, here's a tough one. Some of you are struggling with making decisions in life. Some of you are struggling with the job. Which way do I go? Where am I going to move? What church do we go to? Um, what ministries do we get involved in? Um, um, you know, where do we spend our money? What, what, you know, should we buy this or that? Should we save it? Should we wait? What should we do? Uh, should we get a new car? Should we fix the one that we have? I mean, some of us struggle with everyday life decisions, and I have never found anywhere where God says, Chuck, I think you should move. And here's where I want you to move to. And if you look at Proverbs chapter 6, in the footnotes, that's where you'll find my instructions. <laughs> I have never seen that happen yet. Now let me ask you a question. How do you make those decisions and pray confidently? That's really where we all are. I mean, some of these other things were there too, and they're revealed. We need to know it, and we need to understand it. And John says we need to confess it, agree with God that what we're doing is stupid and wrong, and that we need to turn from it. That's 1 John 1, 9. We've already learned that. So those are clear-cut things. But what about the areas that just aren't quite as clear? How do you do that? How do you pray with confidence in those areas? See, that's where most of us are. Gratefully, that's where most of us are. What do you do? Huh? Number one, if any man lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives generously and above reproach. Lord, I don't know what to do in this area. I've got these choices laid out. Help me, give me wisdom to know what to do. Guess what? That's already revealed in the will of God. I can pray confidently that God will give me wisdom in the decision I'm about to make. Lord, I know that you'll give me wisdom. You've told me you'll give me wisdom. All that I do now is ask you for wisdom and how to make this particular decision. Give me wisdom. Okay? That's a great start. Now what do you do? Okay, you start doing the legwork. Okay, Lord, I'm going to go check this out. If this is what you want me to do, shut the door, whatever you have to do. Bring people into my life, Lord, who will confirm what I'm thinking, whether it's right or wrong. Help me to understand what direction I need to go. And then be able to discern the circumstances in which you find yourself. The Spirit of God, Romans chapter 8 says that the Spirit of God in John 16 says that He'll lead us into all truth. What God is saying is shut up and listen to God for a moment. And the Spirit of God, if you've come to know Christ, the Spirit of God lives within us because it's His Spirit that testifies with our spirit that we're a child of God. The Spirit of God will then say, Chuck, don't go that way. Chuck, check this way out. Look into this. Find out about this. Ask these questions. If you're married, you ask your spouse because the two have become one flesh. God has given us a partner, a helpmate that corresponds to us and that my wife sees things that I don't see. I need to go to her for counsel. I need to go to godly men and women for counsel. I need to ask people and say, look, I'm vulnerable. I don't know what I should do. What do you think I should do? And we need to be able to be vulnerable and transparent and say, I'm not as sharp as you may think I am. I really need help in this area. I am seeking the wisdom of God, but I'm seeking the counsel of godly men and women. Now, how do you know whether something is of God or not? If somebody goes and we go to somebody and this guy says, Hey, listen, you know what? I think you're right. I think you should leave your wife. She's never been really good to you anyway. Oh, great. I got counsel. Is that counsel? That's a counsel of the ungodly. That's a counsel of foolishness. That's stupid. Why? How do I know it's stupid? Because we always funnel all these things back through the first principle that we've already laid out. The guideline is that we have the guidelines, and that's the expressed, revealed will of God. Do you follow what I'm saying here? Now, listen to me. Okay, you've got a guy who's struggling with a job. And do I do this or do I do that? 
Well, you know what? You can maybe do either one. And God will bring circumstances in your life that will lean you one direction or the other because God directs our path. We plan our steps, but God directs our path. So he moves us in the direction that he wants us to go. If we're sensitive and listening to the Spirit of God within us saying, okay, let's go this way and check it out. All right? Now we're going this way and we run up to somebody who says, okay, in order to do this, you need to somehow or another compromise one of the revealed principles of the Word of God. Oh, we're going the wrong way now. Now we've got to back this way. You follow what I'm saying? See, this is, it, it's fascinating how God will use his word to help us to make interesting decisions that we have on a regular basis. And yet people say, well, I don't know if it's God's will for me to move. Well, hey, then go through the process. Check with people. Ask questions. Get godly counsel. And if somebody along the line tells you you need to do something to compromise the revealed will of God, then you know it's not God's will for you to go that direction. You go another direction. It works in every area of life. Every area of life. So number one, the guideline that he gives us so we can ask confidently is that he gives us the word of God. You check into the word of God. If it's revealed, then it's clear. It's not going to change. Doesn't matter how hard you pray, nothing's going to happen. God is set and immovable as far as his principles are concerned. Now the second thing is, if it's something that we don't really know and understand, then we need to be sensitive to the spirit of God that in, who indwells us, who, gives us who, who leads us to all truth, and also to good godly counsel, and uh, you know what I'd find? I'd find people who are, good, who are godly men and women when you don't need their counsel, write their name down on a piece of paper, keep track of the fact that they're maintaining their walk in integrity with God, and then when you're... then you immediately grab that list and start calling them. All right? Because what I've seen is that it will keep you from going down a direction that's harmful in your walk with Christ. If the guy who is struggling with the sin that he's struggling with right now had had a list of guys that he was confident were godly men who could give him good counsel, the moment he starts struggling with the temptation to have sexual sin with someone else, if he would have called any one of those people on that list, we would have all told him the same thing. Don't do it. It's wrong. Flee from temptation. Let's look at the word of God together. You're going to end up in a lot of trouble. But you know what he did? He didn't heed that counsel. He didn't call those people. And the objective thing is when you don't need it is when you know that those are the people that you can call and turn to when you do need it. Because once your head is confused and, you're, and you're, you're, you don't know which way is what, then you're not going to even go to your list sometimes. You're not going to make a list of people to go to. Who you'll go to are the ones who tell you what you're doing is okay. And those are all the brain-dead people that, that Satan brings into your life to tell you, go ahead and keep on going the direction you're going because I really want to see your life screwed up. <laughs> That's what he does. Anyway, oh, okay, let's go. Now, the uh, second thing is, look at the promise that he makes. It says, you can have confidence in approaching God that if you ask anything according to his will, what? He hears us. He hears us. Well, how silly it would be to say that, oh, God only hears certain things. Well, Psalm 139 tells us that God, he knows our thoughts, right? He knows everything. He hears us before we say anything. He hears what we're thinking. So we don't have to say something for him to hear us. What the emphasis is, is that not, not only does he hear us, but he answers. I can have confidence that he's going to answer a prayer that is uttered within the will of God. I can pray confidently for the salvation of other people. Because it's God's will that all men be saved. 
I can pray confidently for others to come to know Christ. I don't even have to hesitate about it. Lord, I'm going to pray that so-and-so comes to know you. Do whatever you can in him or her life to, to, uh, to help me to be an instrument of yours to bring that truth to them. But I can pray confidently, God, that you hear this. Not only do you hear it, but you'll answer it. And I'm looking forward to the opportunity that I have to be able to share the gospel with them. I'm not ashamed because I know it's the truth. And I can ask you to do that because I know you love them more than me. You're the one to die for them. So I can have all the confidence in the world that you're going to hear what I'm about to pray. What a wonderful thing it is. And then I just watch and watch how he opens doors and I go, oh, this is fun. This is good stuff. But it's true. And so he says that, you know what, we can have that confidence by doing so. And, um, well, let me just touch on something real quick because th- this is kind of a c- confusing thing. It says, we know that we have, we have what we ask of him. If we see that he answers it, well, obviously we know we do. If anyone sees his brother commits a sin that does not lead to death, he should pray and God will give him life. Now, I refer to those whose sin does not lead to death. Now, there is sin that leads to death, and I'm not saying you should pray about that. All right, let's just go through this real quick. There's a real problem here, and he tries to illustrate it. And the problem is this. You and I may see a brother who is sinning, all right, and that sin may lead them to death. There are several examples in the Old and New Testament of people whose sin led them to death. And Nice and Sapphira are a good example, Acts chapter 5. We see in 2 Corinthians chapter 11 that the the people at the church of Corinth, uh, some of them died because of the way they treated the Lord's Supper. God judged them and took them out of this world. Man, he just took them out. And uh, there is sin that leads to death. We see in Joshua chapter 7 the sin of Achan who coveted the things that he wasn't supposed to and he hid it in his tent and God judged him and they stoned him to death. I mean, there is sin that leads to death. So what he's saying is if you see someone who is sinning, it is, you can have all the confidence in the world to pray that God would do whatever he can do to keep them from continuing to go on in their sin. You follow that? Now, the saying is, well, and, there, and, and that's a sin that does not lead to death because then God will let them live. Now there's another sin that leads to death. And what John is saying, well, I mean, if it's going to lead to death, it's going to lead to death. But the problem that I have is I don't know if it's going to lead to death or not. And so it's, I don't say that you should pray about that, but it really isn't going to matter because if God's going to take him home, he's going to take him home. You follow that? And the point that I learned from all of it is simply this, is that it is God's will that none of us, as his children, live in sin, number one. So the clear-cut things, we'll just camp on that. It is God's will that none of us live in sin. It is God's will that we can pray in confidence that if we see a brother who's sinning, that we pray that God does whatever he has to do to bring and restore that person back to himself. All right? That's clear. Now, I also want to give you a warning. There is sin that leads to death. And, man, I'd hate for God to call me home because I'm living in sin that leads him to get to the point of him saying, you know what, you're really getting in my way and I've got to get you out of the picture. Man, that's, some so, that's a sobering thought. And I don't know what it is, because you know what? There isn't a specific sin. If you look at all the people who God took out because of what they were doing, they did a variety of things. Some of them were liars, some of them were coveting, some of them were stealing. I don't know, and I, I don't have a clue. But there are certain things that have major consequences, and we need to be aware of that. We can have confidence in our relationship with God by avoiding sinful practices. We can have confidence in our relationship by, to God by avoiding sinful practices. We know that anyone born of God does not continue to sin. The one who is born of God keeps him safe, and the evil one cannot harm him. We know that we are children of God and that the whole world is under the control of the evil one. Do you see what he's saying? I can have confidence in my relationship with Christ when I am living a life that is obedient to the revealed will of God. 
If you love me, you keep my commandments. I never doubt, quote, my salvation. I never doubt my relationship with God. I don't doubt the fact that when I die, I'm going to be with Christ forever in heaven, absent from the body, present with the Lord. I don't doubt any of that. But you know what? Whenever I choose to compromise and sin in an area of my life, I start to doubt everything. We can have confidence in our relationship with God. We can have confidence in our relationship with God by avoiding sinful practices. You and I can have a wonderful relationship with God when we live a life of obedience. And uh, let me close on this because it's kind of a, an interesting statement. And it's powerful because he says, Little children, in verse 21, Little children, dear children, keep yourselves from idols. Man, what an ending. Bang, just like that. You know what he's saying? If you want to have a good relationship with God a right relationship with God, a confident and an assured relationship with God. If you want to be able to raise your hand, if you're sure, when somebody asks you if you died, you're going to heaven, and you can say, yes, I am. If you want to get to that point, then all you need to do, according to what John says, is that keep yourself from anything that would keep Jesus Christ from being number one in your life. Anything. Anything, anyone, anyone, any job, any situation, that would ask you to compromise the fact that you are a child of God and that Jesus Christ is first in your life. He just says, hey, stay away from all of it. Anything. Seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness and everything else will be added unto you. That the, the, the primary commandment of God is that we love the Lord our God with all of our heart, soul, strength, and all of our might. And you know what? And, and as I think about what John has been teaching me through this whole thing and what God has, has got across to me, is that, you know, number one, if I have a right relationship with God because I've asked Jesus Christ into my life, number two, then I should want to live a life of obedience because of of what He's done for me and in response to that love that I in turn love Him. If I love Him, I'll keep His commandments. And you know what? And nothing will ever get in my way from doing what's right before God because He has the program that offers eternal life. He has the program that offers abundant life. He has the program that offers joy and contentment and peace and hope and I'll never have to shrink before God because I'm confident that God is true and He is right. That's a great book, man. That was a great study. And now I don't know what we're going to do, but, but uh, that was fun while it lasted. Let's pray. Our Father, we're just grateful for the opportunity to uh, just to go through your word, how relevant it is for today. We just thank you that you tell us that in Jesus Christ that we have eternal life, that we have immortality, that we have eternal life, and that he is true. Jesus reminded us of that truth when he said that I am the way, the truth, and the life, and that no man comes unto the Father but through me. God, help us to realize that in your words there's truth and that you're to sanctify us in truth, that we're to live a life of humble obedience as we look to your word. We can pray confidently as we know who you are and what your will is and we'll never have to be ashamed at your second coming. And we just thank you for this time that we've had together. In Christ's name, amen.